it reminds you and it kind of grounds you and it can be any industry. It doesn't need to be. It's more related to marketing, but it could be anybody. It could be finances. It just, it challenges you and reminds you, I guess, that when it's really hard and you're not sure, it just goes back to the idea of you don't have to be good in this moment, but how good do you want to be? Welcome to Work Inspired. I'm your host, George Lucas Pfeiffer. On today's show, our guest is Ashley Sinclair, who is the EVP of Marketing and Brand Loyalty for Village Green. We're going to talk about finding and keeping the right people on your team, uh, opportunities with brand and culture, and how to deal with organizational change. A whole lot to talk about. I know you're going to love this conversation. Work Inspired starts right now. Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show today. So excited to speak with you and to learn from you. Thanks for your time and for being here. Of course, I'm super excited to be here. Let's start off by hearing your professional story. Who is Ashley Sinclair? Um, That is a great um, story, I hope, for everyone who's listening. So I actually started um, with Village Green in 2008. In 2008, for those who remember, it was a really tough time in our nation. We were going through a recession. Uh, Full disclosure, I was about 20 years old and I was going to school and I had no idea how the world worked. I was in a place where the recession didn't mean much to me, um, but I was working at the mall and uh, I was going to school and I was, of course, very busy doing activities uh, as a college student is. And my parents obviously uh, were feeling the recession as were the rest of the nation. And I needed to kind of step up. So the agreement was if I was going to school and I was getting good grades and I had a a job, I could kind of live at home rent free. And my parents were still helping me Mm -hmm. because of the economy that somewhat changed. So basically, my mom came to me and was like, hey, you got to start contributing a little bit more. And uh, of course, at 20 years old, I was devastated and thought she was being extremely unfair and hostile in her request. Um, And I had to find kind of a different job, you know, working for those people who've worked in the mall and retail um, at 20 years old, you're getting maybe 10, 12 hours a week. So it's not a whole lot. Um, And I ended up finding Village Green in the newspaper, which definitely dates me, Mm -hmm. Uh, went through and highlighted and thought leasing consultant. That's interesting. And I saw basically hourly versus commission and thought, hmm, that's interesting to me. Um, So that's kind of how it started. And it was truly just a job. And I didn't care much about benefits or promotion from within or the culture. I just really needed that check. Um, So I started in my mind, it was temporary. And I was going to school and I was going to, you know, graduate with a degree in marketing and move to New York City and make plus or minus half a million dollars to start. That's how I thought life worked. Um, I'm giggling because how ridiculous I'm I'm reflecting back on being 20 years old. Um, But essentially, I got in, um, fell in love with it, which is strange. I joke that nobody, when asked as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up, says, oh, I'm going to manage an apartment community or, oh, I'm going to lease apartments. It's usually not in the top five, 10 answers. And I I really did. I I fell in love with it and um, it kind of kept me interested, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So uh, Village Green does have some great programs for promotion from within. And I kind of organically fell into that. And then I was at an age where I could travel. I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. So I started doing little special projects throughout 
um, Minneapolis and Chicago and really wherever Village Green needed me, I would kind of go. Um, and with that, I think that's kind of fast forward where I'm at today is I, any opportunity they had, I was willing to try it. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't trying to be the best or be noticed. I just was trying to, I guess, stay interested mm. and challenged. So that's really how this all started. And I worked in multiple positions on site and then in our corporate and regional offices. So um, as you learn more and expose yourself to more situations, I think that, um, you know, it's hopefully made me somebody who can really help mentor and guide our teams now and understand what they're going through. Um, so that's kind of how it all kicked off. Very cool. For those who aren't familiar, what does Village Green do? Oh, Village Green is a third-party management company. So we don't own any of the buildings we operate. We simply are hired on by clients who, um, whether they have one asset or 20, they are looking for somebody to come in and just manage from the staffing of the asset through the marketing, through renewals and budgets and things of that nature. Hmm. So when you look for people to staff uh, an apartment community, are they... Are they employed by Village Green or are you just helping them place people that are then employed by that specific owner or building? We are actually employing all, everybody who works on site with the exception mm. of a few positions. Um, and those are more of an anomaly. Everybody is a Village Green associate. Wow. All right. So give me some perspective. How many employees does Village Green have? And maybe you don't call them employees, team members. Uh, and how many properties do you manage currently? So we all in probably have about 1,200 plus or minus associates. Wow. About 800 of the 1,200 are on-site associates. Um, and then in addition to that, we have about 172 assets under management today. Very cool. And you are the EVP of marketing and brand loyalty. Is that correct? Yes. Excellent. So very interested. You started your career from college, basically, and 14 years later now, you've kind of done all these different things throughout the organization. And it's an organization that's got a lot of associates. You work with a lot of different people. Tell me what about Village Green, the culture, the company, the people, what about it makes it a place where you decided to stay for so long? And, and, and brand loyalty is, a, I guess, a relevant term for somebody like you that's, that's kind of stayed within the Village Green family or organization. What is it about the company that made you stay? You know, honestly, and it's going to sound a little bit cliche, it's really the people. So the mm. interesting thing, and to the point I made earlier in the joke, and I say it all the time, nobody that I'm aware of, and if anyone listening, if I'm wrong, reach out to me, um, says, I really want to manage a building. And at that, I want to manage apartments. Um, so I think the interesting thing is we hire people more on their character mm. than we do their skill set. So I would tell you that working with the general public and their housing is very challenging. And there were definitely days that that were tough, that were taxing. Again, sounds cliche. It's the people I worked with, though, the alignment that we had, that it, it gives you a sense of comfort. Mm. Um, and I think that you know, our mission statement is that is all about authentic experiences. That's what we want to create for people. And we apply that to our customers. So our residents and our prospects who are looking for homes, we also apply it to each other. Mm. 
Um, and I think that's truly what has made me stay is it's definitely been hard at certain turns, but I've always had a great support system at Village Green at every title I've held. Very cool. Could you, if you had to describe the culture at Village Green, the organizational culture, how would you characterize it? I think that the culture, the best way I would describe it is really, um, it's really filled with empathy. Mm. So we embrace people for who they are. Um, of course, I want to stop and say that you have to hire the right people. It really starts there. You have to hire for culture. Um, obviously, skill is important and experience, but culture is probably the number one because it's hard to teach that. Um, you can teach a lot of other things to people who are willing to learn, but um, definitely the culture is rooted in empathy and support. Mm -hmm. And the way our business is structured truly is our success is shared at every level. So in order to, you know, manage a property and, and do it well, we need to perform for the owner. Mm -hmm. But when we perform well for the owner or for the client, it usually means more opportunity for the associates, kind of that promotion from within that we're still very fond of at Village Green and very much believe in. But it's bigger bonuses, it's more commission, it's more opportunity. And so at the leadership level, you know, we're managing expectations, a lot of expectations. Um, but we remind people all the time that the success is shared at every level and it no one's better than anybody in terms of title or rank in the room. And I think most of the time, I always want to be honest, most of the time I think that translates. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people feel that from us. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, before the, since the pandemic, many companies have had to try to figure out how to promote or strengthen or maintain their, their, their culture in this new kind of hybrid world, or sometimes in a fully remote world, especially when we look back at 2020 and 2021. And I love talking to organizations like yours that had, prior to the pandemic, a lot of different locations, employees that were spread out over, you know, multiple geographies that weren't always together. And I wonder, is there something that we can learn? Are there recipe, you know, you know, the recipes for success for how do you maintain or create or promote a strong culture if you're not always all together, which I think is possibly easier if you've got a good culture to kind of cultivate it um, when, you, when you are in person. But if you talk about all these different employees or associates that you have across all these different um, apartments that you're managing or, or all these different locations, do you have any advice as to how do, you, how do you take that culture of empathy or caring or support and communicate it or make everybody feel like they're part of that culture, even though they're not together? And I think it's a relevant question for someone in your position as a marketer, because that's probably a big part of the, at least the internal piece of the marketing job is to communicate that through whatever tools you have available. That is a great, great question. And I will tell you, it is something that we're looking at probably every day mm -hmm. um, because the pandemic itself created a, a whirlwind and, and mostly fear, right? I think everyone right. can agree at first it was, it was a lot of fear. Um, and you can't tell somebody in general, their feelings are wrong. Mm -hmm. Or you can't mm -hmm. say, you know, you're wrong for feeling that way. That, that's typically not going to go well, um, especially when I tell you our mission statement and that we're rooted in empathy. Um, but I would say that the, the biggest advice I could give is that 
if you think back to what would we what we would consider to be a typical office environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago, people hanging out around the water cooler, getting snacks, trying to figure out where they're going to go for lunch. Uh, you know, those little small talks. You can't lose that on digital. So mm-hmm. as a leader, it's important to start. And, and these are small little things. They don't cost money. Do an icebreaker. Even if that team's been together five years and everyone knows each other, ask a fun question. Um, scheduling things that aren't a topic or work related, um, we would do trivia. We would do different contests. Uh, part of what's it's not necessarily unique to Village Green, I think a lot of companies feel this, is we obviously employ a, a wide variety of people, ages, mm-hmm. backgrounds, beliefs, right? So we, as a marketer, have to always understand that one event or one initiative isn't going to resonate with everybody. But what's key is that making sure that you're doing a bunch of different things so that everybody feels like there's something for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, initially, you always get feedback when people aren't happy. <laughs> um, but as people started to give feedback, it really helped us in the, the marketing, internal communications, and even our people services, which most refer to as human resources, we call it people services, that we were able to really use that feedback and say, okay, they didn't like trivia. They thought that was ridiculous. They had work to do. Um, but they mentioned it would be really cool if we did a book club. So maybe next month we try it. So I would tell you to maintain that culture it's a, just as much about productivity and giving tools and resources as it is mixing in what we probably took for granted, which is that small talk and getting to know somebody and complimenting someone's shoes, maybe as an icebreaker. We've removed that when you're on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I would definitely say that would be my advice is don't be afraid to use the digital platforms as a way of convenience to also have some fun. Mm, good advice. You mentioned the diverse team you've got and that maybe the different uh, generations at work. And what's unique, I think, about you, your, your company and your position is that not only do you have that diverse team of associates, but you are also marketing externally to a very diverse set of residents in these, in these apartment communities, uh, the stakeholders that are investors or owners of these buildings. You've got this huge, wide swath of people that you market to uh, in your role. From that perspective, do you have, I guess, some, um, some learnings of the different generational preferences? Are you able to kind of bucket them out or do you just lump them all together? I guess, what advice do you have since most companies now are experiencing more generations in the workplace than ever before? And you've got this, this kind of unique awareness, I guess, of, of having a business that also serves residential communities, the home and work together, right? Is there anything that you can share with us that you've learned about differences in generational preferences or the way that they like to communicate or the way that they like deliver work? I know that's a loaded question, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's on a lot of people's minds. I mean, like there's, there's never been, I don't think a time where there's been more, um, more generations together than there is now. And part of that's just the nature of the economy and, 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 and work, but it's also because we're more we're not just at work anymore, right? We're, we're, we're meshed our, our personal lives and our homes with our professional lives and our work more than we ever have. And so I think it's, it is something that people are really thinking about and struggling with in some cases. So I would be lying if I didn't tell you that taking this current role I'm in is extremely intimidating for all the reasons you stated. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I am marketing to our current associates, trying to make sure Village Green is relevant and a great place to work. Obviously not alone. There's an entire village, so to speak, doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, You have our clients who definitely, um, it's a different lifestyle than I've ever lived. I don't own a building. I'm not worth millions of dollars. I'm not Mm -hmm. building, unfortunately, my, you know, uh, potential retirement or my children's retirement off of multifamily. Um, so that's intimidating, you know, just because their their styles and what they're used to, our clients are are a little bit different than anything I've ever experienced. Um, I've, I've not walked in their shoes, so to speak. And then you also have the prospects. We want people to want to live at Village Green Managed Communities. And then um, in addition to that, I mean, whoever else we're talking to, I mean, so it's very different in terms of the voices that we use or the personas that we are utilizing to try to make good decisions that are relevant and going to resonate. Um, But I would definitely say the one thing I've learned now getting a little more comfortable with it is people are people. And when you bucket them in a boomer or a Gen Z or like it kind of starts to dilute the idea that just ask people, what's your preference? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't assume people are great with technology because they're younger and, and maybe someone, you know, isn't or doesn't know how. So I think that's been the biggest takeaway is people are people. People mm-hmm. want to typically be part of something. Um, and with that said, you're never going to please everybody. But if you can give preferences, if you can take time and be patient and not assumptive, and that's hard to do. I mean, I mean, I get it. It's really hard. Um, but if people can see your compassion around it or your passion surrounding trying to um, communicate a message or even set up a call, um, they typically are more, again, forgiving and or you open an environment for someone to speak up, mm-hmm. which is great, um, I think. So I would say the biggest takeaway in marketing, we're always bucketing things in order to try to make good decisions. But outwardly, the best approach is just people are people. And treat them with dignity and kindness and respect and ask the question versus assuming. And I think that has helped us be successful. There's always room to do better. But um, yeah, we generationally have a lot of different people with different experiences um, and different skill sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice, especially if your business is the business of people. You know, I know just like your company, ours is also about place but places is, is there to serve people. And so I think you you give great advice. It's, you know, if you keep it simple, if you if you if you're rooted in something that everybody can appreciate like compassion or empathy or support and then you're open to listening, that's all you need because then you'll get the information, you'll you'll have a strong core and you'll, you'll be able to get the information you need to tweak whatever that strong core is or your products or your services to what they tell you they're looking for, right? So I, that's that's great advice and I think makes a ton of sense. Um, as as someone who looks after b- brand and communication uh, for Village Green, talk about how that relates to attraction and retention. We've talked a lot about people in this in this conversation today, um, and obviously, attraction and retention is is in the spotlight right now, uh, based off of in some cases, many industries, how difficult it is to find people to even staff roles. Uh, as someone who's worked for a company for for 14 years, you're like the dream employee for most organizations. Uh, how does your role kind of kind of contribute to to your firm's ability to attract and retain? I think that's a great question. So I would also say that 
I've learned a lot from our prospective renters and Mm -hmm. um, the way their journey is to find an apartment. And I've been able, luckily, to kind of translate that when it comes to recruiting talent and again, working with the people that are the experts there. Um, But essentially, I think what's helping us is all those little things I talked about in the beginning, you know, the digital trivia, having fun at work, attempting to be a great place to work. I mean, again, Somebody could be rolling their eyes to that because I I get it. I do understand. But if you really try to, you know, be open, like we talked about in listening and adapting and trying new things to show the associates how much we care, um, what you start to see happen is you start to collect really organic images of people having fun. We've taken some pictures on screen and done selfies when there's, you know, 70 people on a call doing trivia. And we just started posting them on social media because I think a lot of people are skeptical. They know that you can see a job description and a salary on Indeed or Monster.com or, you know, wherever they're looking. And they want to really understand what am I really getting myself into? So just like the prospect, the prospect's going to look at the online reputation. They're going to look at the reviews. They're going to go to the social media and see not just what did the site or asset post, what did the site get tagged in? Mm -hmm. So we started to see that the more transparent we can be on the front end, um, showing people having fun, showing the different um, initiatives and charity events and different things, we want to appeal to all people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I love that you said we are a people company. We really are because that's all we do all day, whether it's homes or hiring or dealing with, you know, associates who are having a rough day or owners who maybe aren't in the best mood. Um, that's what we do all day. It's really people. Um, so with that said, I think that if you're looking today, leverage social media channels, don't just leverage LinkedIn. People are super curious and they want to be part of something. And they want to be part of something bigger than just their paycheck in a lot of ways. Not all, but some. And um, I definitely wouldn't and tell you if you're not utilizing social media and you're not showing real people um, that you're probably selling yourself a little short. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you leverage social media mostly from a brand perspective or do you also try to equip or encourage your associates to use their own channels or their own networks to kind of communicate? Your, diff, your 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 the village green story or culture or or value proposition is it is it all coming from 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 you and your team or is it is there a little bit of uh evangelistic kind of spread naturally through the the associates themselves i would say that the associates as of late have started to kind of share things or especially again if they're featured in a photo right right who, who doesn't love right to share on social that's what social is all about at the end of the day anyone who tells you otherwise is probably not telling the truth um it's all about look at me look what i did look what i'm gonna do look how cool this is whatever you get it so what's cool is those pictures i talk about when it's more organic Mm -hmm. i don't ask for the record we don't ask associates to do anything i think that becomes inauthentic at -hmm. some point if i'm like hey george do you love working here and you're like i mean sure yeah and i'm like good Go on Glassdoor right now and say that. Like, it's very awkward. (laughs) And typically, if you do do it, you're going to put, I love working here. (laughs) It's not super helpful. It's not super helpful, right? So um, someone's going to see right through that Glassdoor review. But um, 
we started doing the photos and asking people permission and also respecting boundaries too, because not everyone is into social media or LinkedIn and, and we want to respect that. But we would say, do you mind if we put this picture up? We this weekend actually had a team um, attend um, a pride event in Michigan and they band together and they ran the booth and they had a great time and they sent us some really great pictures. So of course we said, can we post these on social? And of course, as soon as we put it up, they were sharing it and tagging themselves. And, um, you know, it's awesome in the sense that, you know, the pride I have surrounding the company I work for and being in charge of the brand is one thing. But when associates feel the same way, I feel like we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I'm very grateful for. And I'm grateful that all the efforts are paying off. And again, not everywhere. Um, For those who are listening and maybe doing a little bit of a hmm, um, there's definitely challenges. But as we continue to try things and people feel heard and they feel part of it, we're seeing great results um, in what you originally asked, which is. I think they want to share. And I love that. Mm. Helps me Mm -hmm. greatly. With that, though, comes a great responsibility of when you screw up, you know, of an active group of associates um, that are on social and that are tagging. So we're very mindful of that, too. It's interesting how relevant that is to the conversation around return to workplace. I I see a lot of similarities. You know, like we, we, there's new stories every day about employers that are forcing their people back or are fully remote or, you know, like, the conversation about if you want employees in the workplace and together in person for at least a par- part of the week, what's the right recipe for that? Should we mandate it? Should we have certain days? Should there be a lot of flexibility in there? And I've talked to a couple, you know, pretty seasoned leaders at large organizations who have said, you know, for us, we're not doing it as a punitive thing. It's not even really a regulatory thing. It's, it's our job to make the, the working environment a place where people really want to come. And then to give them the option and to make them feel comfortable and safe coming here and doing that. And that's how we're encouraging people back into the office, the workspace. And I think it's similar to what you just said about social media. It's like, we're not going to make people do it, but we realize there's power in that. We realize that that's a great thing when people are authentically and organically sharing. And so we're going to create a scenario in which they want to, you know, <laughs> and, and where they really feel like excited to do it. Um, yeah, that's very cool. I, I had not drawn that connection before because we have the exact same thing. And, in my role as a marketer here, you know, that's, that's a great way to inspire advocacy, I think, um, and very relevant to this concept of hybrid and where are we going to be working uh, in the next year or two. Um, speaking of which, uh, this, this last couple of years has been clearly a time of significant change uh, for all organizations, all people. Um, and I'm interested, you know, you talked about starting off your career during the recession. Uh, of 2008, or at least being in college then, and you know, and and that was kind of the first driver for you to get into the workforce. And now we've all gone through COVID and the pandemic, and there's still quite a bit of uncertainty and and change happening. Do you have any advice as far as like how you've dealt with these challenges? What learnings you've you you know you've kind of taken away um, that might contribute to post-pandemic growth? But like I said before, you've got this kind of unique perspective of being a business that deals with residential. Uh, and deals with with building owners. I just think you've got this kind of like very interesting point of view and uh, interested if you've got any advice on uh, kind of how to best handle change and turn it into opportunity. Absolutely. So, you know, in starting it obviously 2008 and then a global 
pandemic. And clearly 2008 to 2019, social media channels, the way you get information. I mean, you're not necessarily having to wait for the newspaper or the local news. You, It's on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, I would also just say like communication is key and you shouldn't take that for granted, especially in bad times. Um, I think sometimes the thought process is, well, maybe they're not even thinking about it. So why am I going to bring up a, a negative topic? Right. Or, or what if I create fear Mm. by being honest and being real? Mm. Um, So as leaders, I think there's a lot of pressure to kind of do the right thing, you know, and and what is that thing in a recession or in a pandemic? We joked so many times, like, did we miss the memo? Did we miss training on this? Like, what what are you supposed to do? I think a few times we all, all leaders sat in the room and it was dead silent. Mm -hmm. No one knew. Right. Um, But communication is key. And I think associates appreciate that they know you're on it. They know that you're looking at things. They're, you're trying to make a decision. You may not have the right answer, but you're coming out, you're visible, you're present, whatever that may mean for you, whether that's digitally or um, email communication or, or whatever it is that works for that company or that's a, a normal vehicle for them to communicate internally. It's just so important to be transparent. And you have those town halls that might be a little uncomfortable. You might have an associate who speaks up that it forces you to give an answer you weren't ready or or what have you. But I think when people see you're a human, that you care, you're trying, you're evaluating decisions, it's going to change day to day. I think they feel comfort in knowing that you're kind of lobbying for them. You're taking it seriously. You understand um, and that you want them to feel as secure as you can make them feel, even if it's mm. outside of your control. Yeah, it's really interesting when you talk through, you know, think about the authenticity thing um, and the things we talked about earlier from a leadership, from a leadership perspective, especially when it's something like a, a health situation, like a pandemic, where it would be very natural for a leader to be feeling fear and feeling uh, a deep concern for their loved ones or for their, their team members. And and a great deal of uncertainty since it was unprecedented in many, many you know, in mm-hmm. many respects. And so when you talk about authenticity, do you, from a leadership perspective, do you show that, you know, like the, it's clearly important to be transparent and to, to be open to listening and to be, you know, frequently communicating. We've heard that time and time again, because this podcast started March of 2020, and we've been talking through the entire pandemic with different leaders. But when you talk about the balance of, from a leadership perspective, how much do you show, you know, like, and how, how do you, you know, do, do you exude a calm and confident demeanor when maybe that's not how you actually feel? You know, it's, it's a very interesting conundrum, I guess, you know, and so how important do you think it is for decisiveness, even when you don't know, you know, you're not that confident because you haven't gone through it before as a, as a business leader or as a communicator within your organization, how important was it to say, we're, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but we're going to make some decisions here. And then we're just going to work in agility or we're just going to be communicating as we go, but we're still going to be leading, you know, we're still going to be that kind of, uh, give a little bit of that sense of security and stability, even though it might not really be there as we kind of move through these periods of intense change. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, again, it would be not truthful if I told you that there were moments of like, huh? 
Mm-hmm. What do we do? I don't know what to do. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not the World Health Organization. I'm definitely not Dr. Fauci. Like, I don't know. I also think that one thing that was really hard is choosing your words carefully mm-hmm. for a company that says be your authentic self, but then mm-hmm. as a leader to ensure that you don't say something that maybe makes it sound politically driven. Because mm. that happened quick in the pandemic, I will say. Um, you know, I could see how kind of both sides of the aisle had their own take on things. Um, so respecting that associates have their own beliefs and, you know, definitely not trying to come out um, as one way or the other. Um, understanding there was different fears for different people. Some people might take care of their grandparents as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might live still at home. Um, but so essentially what it was is we're, gonna, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. We're going to take it day by day. We ended up organizing a COVID task force that were people from different departments, such as people services and risk management, who were staying on top of all the different local um, and city and county and state mandates and changes that in itself was challenging to ensure we were following proper pro- protocol everywhere um, and still maintaining productivity. Mm-hmm. We don't own anything that we manage, so we need to perform for our clients. So balancing that, you know, I think I kind of blocked it out until you asked the question and now my head's swirling. But in, to stay concise and give advice, I would say a recession, a pandemic, anything that's happening that's negatively affecting or could negatively affect business, it's important to, I think, show the team that you employ that you're on it. And you mm-hmm. might not have an answer, but you're looking into it. And there might be, communication might be daily. And the directive in the morning could change in the afternoon. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is the associates, the residents, and the clients. And we're evaluating all three with every decision we make. Mm-hmm. Feel we're not making them fast enough. If you disagree, reach out to us privately and let's have that conversation. So I think showing some vulnerability, but also showing strength and confidence um, was probably the best thing we could have done. And I'm positive we made mistakes and I'm positive some people didn't love the directives or the initiatives that we threw out. But I think and I hope people knew we were doing the best we could, given the situation we were in. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. The, the, the listening, the authenticity, the confidence, but also the the proof of action, right? And, and whether that is going to the right action or not, if, I mean, that, that's the strategy of change management and being able to like pivot and, and, and correct and course correct because nobody knew what, what to do. And so we all learned a lot. And it's interesting. There's, if you think about the future, there's going to be a lot more change headed, headed our way. And hopefully a lot of it's positive change. You know, there's some really exciting technologies and there's been some, some call it silver lining or, or, or the, you know, the, the benefit that came out of the crazy amount of change that we just went through, there's been a lot of improvements that have happened. And so I think moving forward, it's, it's, it's showing your, your associates or bringing people, inspiring people to come into your organization who are excited by that change and the opportunity that it presents. So great advice. Um, I, I would say for any marketers listening to it though, it just like anything else, that's the best thing in marketing. What worked yesterday doesn't work today. Right. What failed a few weeks ago now is the hottest thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. And that isn't going to work on Friday. So you better have mm-hmm. any plan. So the pandemic really became just marketing in a lot of ways, because what 
happened yesterday and went well, we can't bank on it. And today that's a new challenge. And last week's idea is now the best thing that's ever happened to us. <laughs> so For I will sure. say, you know, as a marketer and George, I'm sure you've witnessed that you're like, I'm on to something and it falls apart quickly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so you just, you come right back with a new idea or initiative. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, and obviously there's, and there's more choices than ever, especially in marketing, but in most, most job functions now, whether it's technology or system processes, it's just, there's, everything has been accelerated. It feels like. And Mm so managing your time and allocating your resources properly is probably more relevant and important today and will be more so tomorrow. So, um, great feedback, Ashley. I, I ask these next couple of questions at the end of every episode, and they can be personal answers or professional, whatever you like, but tell me something you're interested in or excited for that will take place in the next 12 months. Actually, I'll keep it professional. I'm really excited that we are now, I'm going to say normalizing. I'm going to say it hesitantly, given that anything could happen and we've learned that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but We really are back to focusing on initiatives that similar to what I've talked about for the associates, um, I I think that's ongoing and that's the demand, which I'm great with in terms of, you know, as we're bringing on new people, they have different demands and expectations, but really focusing in on the residents and different Mm -hmm. programs and initiatives to help them. So one that isn't necessarily coming, but I think will take off more now, hopefully that the housing market is somewhat also normalizing. I'm going to tread lightly there. I'm not an economist, but um, that we are rolling some stuff out for residents and we're trying to make it um, not just a place to live. I think it's we're very passionate about providing a great place to live, but we are focusing now on, you know, what else do, what else do people need? And part of that is um, financial education. So we have a home, we have a program. We know some people are renting temporarily and they want to buy homes. We partnered um, with an organization that they're going to teach them about credit, down payments, interest rates. And we're great with it. I know that sounds ridiculous because you're like, wait a minute, aren't you basically then saying, you know, you're going to lose people? The reality is we are anyway. Mm -hmm. So we embrace it. We want to give them more and we want to show them that we support their home purchase. We think that's fantastic. Um, we're studying more on pets and what more we could do there. And then in addition to that, we're rolling out a loyalty program. You obviously are familiar with um, Nordstrom has a program. Delta has a program. I mean, who doesn't these days? If you're loyal, there's some sort of punch card or points. Unfortunately, we can't do that. But what we can do is say, if you've lived here for X amount of years, we're going to give back to you. If you're renewing, we want to give you something. We want people to feel like their loyalty to us matters. Mm. And we, we definitely think that, you know, if it gets us more business and more people to rent with us, fantastic. But at the end of the day, we all know that a referral and a reputation is priceless. You can pay mm. a lot of money for those things and they may not work. But if you keep building on it, um, I think that that's what I'm really excited about in my role is watching and observing. And listen, it could fall flat. <laughs> I'm ready for that, too. But I'm excited about the feedback that I'm going to get in order to make it better. And I know I can rely on that. So um, I think it's really focusing now on the residents and, and just improving their overall experience. That's awesome. Very cool. What's a, a resource that you found helpful throughout your professional journey that you could recommend to others? You know, I have a, a, a book that I I read and I've reread it a thousand times. It's called, it's not how 
good you are. It's how good you want to be. And you can get it on Amazon. It's very inexpensive. Um, it reminds you and it kind of grounds you. And it can be any industry. It doesn't need to be. It's more related to marketing, but it could be anybody. It could be finances. It just, it challenges you and reminds you, I guess, that when it's really hard and you're not sure, it just goes back to the idea of you don't have to be good in this moment, but how good do you want to be? And I think Mm -hmm. that helps kind of be more resourceful, um, maybe look at something from a different perspective if you're not getting the answer or the solution you need. Um, and really leaning into things and maybe embracing the chaos a little bit and seeing the challenge as really more of an opportunity. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's again, not how good you are. It's how good you want to be. And I get it right off Amazon. And there's a series of books kind of similar to it that I'm sure Amazon is going to recommend for you. And anyone listening who has Amazon, I'm sure it's going to show up at the top of your page anyway for you. So the work is done. Mm. There you go. Yeah, that's uh, it's 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 good advice. Perspective is maybe everything. Some people say it's everything, but it's very important. And obviously, it's 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 worth realizing that no matter who you are, what career you're in, how much success you've had, everybody has those feelings of, yeah, yeah, I'm not where I want. Right? I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not. Uh, I don't deserve this, but having that perspective, like you just said, and we talked a lot about change, it's how do you see that as an opportunity? You know, that, how do you turn that as from a negative feeling into a good feeling because you, you know where you want to go, you know, where there's, you know, this gap that you want to close. So great advice. Um, final question. Uh, if you were retiring tomorrow, which clearly you're not, but if you were, <laughs> and you were mentoring the next uh, longtime career professional for Village Green or anybody that you were mentoring, what would you, what, what's, what's a word of wisdom or some advice you'd leave for them? Honestly, I would tell them fear is a lie. Mm-hmm. Fear is just a lie. If you can get over the idea that you're scared or that you don't know, and you can use that energy to some sort of action, even if that action is vulnerability and phoning a friend, connecting with someone on LinkedIn, anything you can get through it. Most people I think are fearful for all different reasons, maybe self-worth, maybe their credibility, um, maybe the fear that, you know, how do I not know this in my role with my title? I'm going to look so ridiculous. Fear really is a lie. So if you can try to take the energy of fear and put it into something productive, um, at the end of the day, you're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You've learned a valuable lesson. And that might be someone else's playbook one day. You may meet you in that same feeling in that same situation, and you may be able to help someone through it. So I would tell everyone, fear is just a lie. And you really just need to take a minute. You got yourself there. So what can you, what more can you do or what more do you need? Don't stay still or get paralyzed by the idea of what it could be or what it's not going to be. Great advice. And a great way to wrap up this incredible conversation. Ashley, Again, can't thank you enough for being here and for your insight, your inspiration, and your perspective. Congrats to everything you and the Village Green team are doing and looking forward to following you in your career as you move forward into the next 14 years. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, George. It's been a great conversation and I really appreciate the opportunity. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to rate our show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Work Inspired Podcast so that you don't miss any of the incredible guests we have planned for upcoming episodes. We'll continue to find the best and brightest minds in business so that you can learn, grow, and succeed, and so that we can all work inspired. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.